0: Father, we once again come before you in thanksgiving, that we are here today, gathered together as your church. We should never take this for granted, for we know that all over the world your people suffer for the sake of Christ. We are truly blessed to live where we live, where we can worship you freely. Father, would you bless our time in your word this morning? Would you lift us up and encourage us? I ask that I would decrease and that Christ would increase. It is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. New Year's usually comes with something that we call a New Year's resolution, something we want to accomplish in the year to come. And many people seek to lose weight or learn a new skill or start a family or read through the entire Bible until they hit Leviticus. The usual. And those things are all good things. And I don't want to make light of these things or anybody's goal. But I want to go beyond that in this coming year and in this message here. And I've had several people in the past come up to me and say that they appreciate that I bring into my message a modern-day insight or something that people only my age might understand to help open the door into the greater outside world of which us millennials only know. So I will not shy away from that. But if you are familiar with Instagram or really any social media page, I have noticed mostly Instagram, that every year someone will make a post that lays out their resolutions for the new year, and they usually add the phrase, new year, new me as if the changing calendar year is the magic solution to the issues that we have right now in our lives. But the switching over from 2021 to 2022 is simply replacing a calendar and still writing 2021 for the first three months of 2022 until you get used to writing 2022. But I have some statistics for New Year's resolutions for successes and failures. This is for the first six months. Of those who make New Year's resolutions, after one week, 75% are still successful in keeping it. After two weeks, the number drops to 71%. After one month, the number drops again to 64%. And after six months, 46% of people who make a resolution are still successful in keeping it. In comparison of those people who have similar goals but do not set a resolution, only 4% are still successful after six months. Overall success and failure. According to a 2016 study of the 41% of Americans who make New Year's resolutions, by the end of the year only 9% feel like they are successful in keeping them. An earlier study in 2007 showed that 12% of people who set resolutions are successful even though 52% of the participants were confident to succeed. Reasons for failure are as follows. In one 2014 study, 35% of participants who failed their New Year's resolution said that they had unrealistic goals. 33% of participants who failed didn't keep track of their progress and whoever's parent is of that child I tell you <laughs> 23% forgot about their resolutions and about 1 in 10 people who failed said they made too many resolutions on Twitter you have a lot of interesting sorts and I follow a lot of different people but on Twitter there is a lot of the we call name-it-and-claim-it preachers out there, where they say, in this coming year, you will be blessed with money, you will be blessed with health, you will be blessed with success, as long as you name it in the name of Jesus, and you claim it in the name of Jesus, it is yours for the taking. And you see so many people responding to this, typing, amen, hallelujah, I claim it in Jesus' name. And it really, really makes me sad. People fall into these traps because they think this is Christianity. They think that this is what it's all about. People who have never actually read their Bibles except for the verses that these preachers uh, use and twist in order to push their agenda of prosperity. But nothing we do, whether it be lose weight, build muscle, find true love, stop smoking, start a family, buy a house, nothing we do is going to satisfy us. Nothing we do is going to truly make this a new year with a new me. There may be a new year, but there is no new me without the renewing power of the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the gospel and of our Lord Jesus Christ, our only Savior. And even though my focus for this morning will be on Revelation chapter 21... I want to start here at the end of Revelation chapter 20, because I think it's important to take these two passages together. Usually in my sermons, I'll bring up the judgment and the bad stuff at the end, but new year, new sermon order. So for a moment, turn with me back to Revelation chapter 20, starting in verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So here we see this great judgment before the great white throne, the final judgment, a judgment that leaves no one out. Every single person who has ever existed or will ever exist will stand before this throne at this time. And this is important because the world wants to like Jesus. The world wants to like Jesus, but not the biblical Jesus. Not Jesus as God, but the world is fine with Jesus as a good teacher or a cool guy who just wants to preach and promote love. They don't want the Jesus depicted here in Revelation chapter 20. They don't want Jesus, the God, the judge of all we just had Christmas, a holiday that even non-believers enjoy, a picture of Jesus stepping off his throne and out of heaven to come to earth in human flesh to save the world. That's fine. Everybody likes that Jesus. But as soon as Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father and takes his place on the throne, and he says, all authority has been given to me on heaven and earth, this is where the world divides. How do we know this is the Jesus on this throne here in Revelation? Many ways. The first is that he is the judge of all, Acts 10, 42. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be the judge of the living and the dead. Matthew 25, 31 through 32. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered the nations. And he will separate the people one from another as shepherds separate separates the sheep from the goats. John 5:22. For the father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the son. This is just to name a few to identify this one who is on the throne. Adding to this, Christ is associated with a white cloud in Revelation 14. He rides a white horse in Revelation 19, and depending on your views of certain details in Revelation chapter 6 as well. And now he is seated on a white throne. In similar ways, those who identify with Christ, whose sins are forgiven, who secure in their salvation, are clothed in white garments. We just sang about that a moment ago. Though your sins are as scarlet, I shall make them white as snow. Earlier in Revelation chapter three, verse five, it says this the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father and before the angels. The simple thing I want to get from this is that neutrality is a myth. There is either dirty or there is clean. There is either just or there is unjust there is either book of life or second death, and it all comes down to Christ. Who is Christ? Is your name written in the book of life this morning? Are you clothed this morning with the righteousness of Christ? Because if not, then I think your New Year's resolution should be to repent of your sins and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and that could be this morning. Because nothing you do in this life, no matter how much weight you lose, no matter where you go on vacation, no matter who you get married to or have kids, no matter what you own or your own accomplishments are in this coming year, if you do not look to the cross, if you do not look to the finished work of Christ in your place for your sins, there is no hope. There is no new you you will remain dead in your trespasses and sins. And when you stand before Christ on that day of judgment, you will hear the dreaded, Depart from me. I never knew you. For this day is coming. We don't know when, but it is coming. And for those of us today who are in Christ, this is not a day of fear. This is a day of longing, what we have waited and longed for. When all things wrong are made right, when we are glorified and receive our fullness of our salvation, the judgment is done and evil and death are no more. We will dwell with God. We will have new bodies. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty-two through 49 says this, So is it with the resurrection of the dead, what is sown is perishable, what is raised is imperishable. It is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in power, it is sown in a natural body. it is raised in a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. Thus it is written: "The first man Adam became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. But it is not the spiritual that is first, but the natural. And then the spiritual. The first man was from the earth, a man of dust. The second man is from heaven. As was the man of dust, so also are those who are of the dust. And as is the man in heaven, so also are those who are of heaven. Just as we have borne the image of the man of dust, we shall also bear the image of the man of heaven. Paul is helping us to understand these bodies. He contrasts between the bodies we have now and the ones that come at the resurrection. Incorruptible is over corruption, glory over dishonor, power over weakness, and spiritual over natural. We bore the image of Adam, and we will bear the image of Christ, the last Adam, the better Adam. Christ was raised in a physical body, and so were we. As the Westminster Confession of Faith states, the bodies of men, after their death, return to dust, and seek corruption. But their souls, which neither die nor sleep, having an immortal substance, immediately return to God who gave them. The souls of the righteous, being then made perfect in holiness, are received into the highest heavens, where they behold the face of God in light and glory, waiting for the full redemption of their bodies, and the souls of the wicked are cast into hell, where they remain in torment and utter darkness, reserved to the judgment of the great day. Besides these two places for souls separated from their bodies, the scripture acknowledges none. At the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, such living persons as are found in him shall not die but be changed. And all the dead shall be raised up with the selfsame bodies and none other, although with different qualities, which shall be united again to their souls forever. This will be our eventual eternal state, soul and body, glorified, perfected, incorruptible. And if you are in Christ this morning, your body is corruptible. You can still sin. You are not perfect But you are counted righteous by the blood of Christ. This is the new you. You've gone from death to life in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. This is biblical language. And one day, after the final great day of judgment, when our souls and bodies are reunited and joined together and made perfect and incorruptible, God will make all things new. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have his heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. There are a few different views of the new heavens and new earth. There are those who believe that God will just clean up the earth that we live on now, that this is our eternal dwelling at the last day. However, the problem with this is both scripture and science seem to go against this idea. We know that one day the sun will die, and when it does, this will wipe out the earth. And many people have used this great phenomena of the earth or of the sun dying, and tried to predict when Christ will come again. And they predict that roughly five billion years from now is when the sun will pass away. And according, that's according to some scientists uh, as they study the activity of the sun. And they turn to such passages like 2 Peter 3, which says this, "...looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire." And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Of course, God can use whatever he chooses to use to bring about this destruction. But I, for one, hope that Christ returns well before five billion years from now. I think it is also important to mention what is meant by the word heaven. One commentator writes this, It is worth remembering that the new heaven referred to doesn't mean the heaven where God is enthroned. The Bible uses the word heaven in three senses. The first heaven is the earth's atmosphere, the blue sky, or day. The second heaven is outer space, beyond that, the night sky. The third heaven is the place where God lives in glory. When the scriptures speak of a new heaven, they mean a new blue sky, not a new heaven where God dwells. The text lends itself to a new earth, not just a renewed or fixed earth, but a new earth. The first had passed away. There is this distinction between what is temporary and what is eternal. What will and can pass away and what cannot and will not pass away. Our temporary dwelling and our eternal dwelling. And some of you may be wondering, what does any of this have to do with New Year's? My answer is everything, because what happens now matters for eternity. As I said before, I'll say it again, there is nothing wrong with wanting to be better and healthier and stronger and making goals for a new year. Paul says this, bodily training is of some value. It is important to take care of ourselves, to treat our body that God has given us with care, but he goes on to say this, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Both sides of my family, the men, have shown that they have heart issues. My grandfather on my dad's side died of a heart attack, and my grandfather on my mother's side has had one heart attack and a few different issues with his heart along with it. I want to stay healthy for my wife and for my daughter. I recently told my wife that I wanted to start taking care of myself. If you saw my diet or my exercise routines, you wonder how I am the size that I am now. But of course, I want to fulfill my duties as a husband and as a father that God has called me to. And I want to honor my health and my body in doing that to to do what I can to be around for them. And of course, if God chooses to uh, take me before then... That is of God's will. But here I can do what I can. My body and taking care of it is of some value. But even more than this, godliness, looking not to just the here and the now, but looking towards eternity, leading my wife and raising our daughters in the faith that Francesca and Imogen would grow up not focused on the things of this world but to know their Savior. To know that their lives have purpose and value, not because of anything the world tells them, but because they were made by God in his image and bought with a high price. That they would grow and love others and desire for others to come to Christ. That they would be more concerned with godliness, with truth, With love than anything this world could ever offer them. If our goals focus only on what we can do and what can be gained here in this life, then we have gained the world, of course, but we have lost our lives. If attention is set upon godliness, we lose the popularity, the benefits, and the entertainment of this world, but we gain and we keep. Christ, or more, he gains and keeps us. We are made new. We are not fixed up or put back together, but we are a new creation. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The world offers us look better, feel better, live better, but Christ offers this. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, where we are with God and he is with us. We are his people, and God is our God. He offers us wiping away every tear from our eye. No more death, no more mourning, no more crying. No New Year's resolution can offer that. And we put this up against what the Bible says of those who are cast away. We are separated from God. Christ says, I never knew you. We are not his people. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. There will be eternal death, eternal mourning, eternal torment. These are the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all. and you can take this list, or one of the many that Paul gives us in his epistles, and we can all find ourselves somewhere on there. And without Christ, there would be reason to fear. But such were some of you. But you were washed, clothed in the righteousness of Christ, made new. Verse 5, And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. This is a proclamation of a king, an authoritative announcement. It comes from God himself seated upon his throne. I am making all things new. This declaration is in the present tense. This is a current reality. And Paul spoke of this. 2 Corinthians four sixteen. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. In chapter 5, verse 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, again, the old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. The question is often uh, posed by critics. If God is good, Why does he allow evil to exist? Why does he let bad things happen? And it's for this very reason. To show the awesome power of God. To do a greater work of making all things new. And at this point in the story here in Revelation 21, we see the glimpse of this. It has happened. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. How hopeless does one have to be to think that this life that we live now is all that there is, that the chief end of man is to eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. There's so much more. And 2022 is just a number, church. The only difference between December 31st, 2021 and January 1st, 2022 is one single number. The message stays the same. The gospel stays the same. Our Lord and King and Savior, Jesus Christ, stays the same. Unchangeable, just, righteous, holy. And at this point... I would have had something here about communion and coming to the table, but we're not going to be participating in communion, but I think it's important anyway. The communion table, the Lord's Supper, is a reminder to us to proclaim Christ's death until he comes again. It's to show that it doesn't matter when the calendar changes, but this is something we are called to every single day of our lives, to live, to give honor to, to Christ, who pulled us from death to life. And the table is a beautiful picture of God's church coming and remembering that. And we have that as given to us. So I'll close with this. The question is, where do we go from here? Where do we go as individuals? Where do we go as a church? God's mercies are not new every year. God's mercies are new every morning. Every day to live for our Savior is a good day, to reflect on the image of Christ to the world around us. And the most important resolution that we can make is to be more like Christ, or to quote a phrase by Vodi more today than yesterday, more tomorrow than today. And I'll quote quote Paul Washer here. May this next year bring you closer to Christ and farther from the lesser passions which would steal you from him. This is my prayer for myself. This is my prayer for my wife. This is my prayer for each one of you this morning for this coming year. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, We come before you now, humble, seeking you, where we have no strength of our own, but only that which you have given us in Christ. Lord, we know that we are but dust. We know that without you, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. But, Lord, because of your mercy and your kindness and your love for the people that you have chosen, you have brought us life. You have made us new. You have encouraged our hearts. You have placed your image upon us, Lord. And I pray as we go into this next year that you would use us in such ways that we would further your kingdom, that we would reflect the image of Christ to those who are around us, Lord. That you would strengthen us as a church body, Lord, to be the city on a hill, the light to the world, Lord. So, Father, as we continue to worship you this morning, would you encourage our hearts? Would it be a beautiful noise to your ears, Lord? In Jesus' name, amen.